This episode of The BIP Show is brought to you by OpenTrader. OpenTrader is Australia's most competitive, self-directed retail trading platform for professional traders and those who want to invest like a pro from only $5 per trade. It provides chess-sponsored trading accounts and award-winning charts, combined with ongoing educational support and training. You'll get full autonomy on how you select stock and detailed info on performance across multiple metrics to help you make robust decisions. Open Trader. Invest like a pro from only $5 per trade. How are you now? You're listening to The BIP Show. BIP is for business investing and policy, and that's what we are here to talk about. I am James Whelan, Investment Manager at VFS Group. I'm here as always with Paul Colgan, Director at CT Group. Hello. How are you now, Paul? Uh, I'm pretty good. The sushi has not gone up in price again. Uh, so we're, we're still tracking the sushi index? Uh, yeah, yeah. Can but, we get um, to that? So it was a 20% sushi. It was 20% su- sushi price bump, but yeah. Um, we, yeah. Keep a track on that. Uh, yeah. we, we are here recording this on Wednesday, March the 26th, 2021. Don't forget to hit subscribe and rate us wherever you get your podcasts. Our guest today is Executive Director, Macro Sales at JP Morgan, Laura Fitzsimmons. G'day, Laura. How are you now? Hi, James. I'm very well. How are you doing? I'm, I'm, I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. It's good. It's a Wednesday. It's an afternoon. Uh, people have said that potentially this is the last day of okayness out there, outside in Sydney. And that's very interesting because I'm sort of getting more hints and more anecdotal information sort of coming through to me about how, how, how everyone is saying this is the last day. So maybe we've got to think the about the Queensland. Last day of what? Uh, the last day of okay weather. Oh, the last oh, day. oh we were okay? getting a bit worried there. No, no, no. no, no, no. <laughs> you were saying <laughs> okayness and I'm like, what's not okay? No, okay. Oh, no, no, no. It, it was, it was so, someone looked at me and just went, we're both wearing, wearing polo. I caught up with someone for lunch and he said, we're both wearing polo shirts. It's the last day. Mm. Oh, okay. It's, it, okay, that might be yeah. it. it might, it's the last day of polo shirts. And, and it was sort of interesting um, – I've had a bit of an incident this week uh, talking to Qantas or trying to talk to Qantas, and I'm okay to, to, to name them. That's okay. And their hold, their hold times have been astronomical. Some flights have been changed. Some things have happened, and there's been two-hour hold times and callbacks, and it's not good. And, and I did meant, uh, I, I noticed this morning, first thing when I was up probably about 5 a.m. this morning, uh, Morgan Housen from Collab Fund, uh, who was on Twitter, who, who actually had mentioned as well, Current hold timed to speak to someone at Delta, this is from the States, is 7 hours and 40 minutes. So welcome to the summer of travel labour shortages. And I was, I mentioned, I said, well, in the Southern Hemisphere, it's sort of more, I think that we could say this is our the winter of our discontinued service now, you know, the, 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 and, and woe is us on these ones. The cruise line industry overnight said that it, 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 it could potentially be the best year on record for them. And so the cruise liners were up overnight. Restaurants that I go to, they have yeah. Restaurants that I have, uh, we can't. The theatre of the mind says that we can't do the podcast. But but Paul, who mentioned last week that sushi was up twenty percent, has difficulty believing that the cruise line industry could actually do okay this year. Yeah, my but, uh, my eyebrow had an involuntary reaction. Yeah, we'll do that. TV soon, mate. It, the but yeah, and, and no, it, it, that, that is what they said. That's why the cruise liners were up overnight. Um, my favourite restaurants have all said they've had difficulty getting staff that can do the things that they need to do. Um, and it doesn't matter what they pay them. And this is that same thing with regards to, to, to labour, that they've said that that we've got staff and they're okay at what they do, but but if I wanted the same staff that I had last year, then I can't. We've talked about lift prices at, at Falls Creek going up. That's a $100 increase just on just on the travel pass to get down to Falls Creek. But physically staff, where, do they, where are they going to come from? And, and there is a real labour shortage 
but there is this huge demand increase. There can be no doubt of that. Laura, what's the latest in your corner of the world? Let's, uh, let's just open it up. So, uh, so, so how are things going with you? Yeah, I mean, I I guess it's interesting what you're saying there about the bottlenecks and supply shortages. I think in terms of Australia, yes, we're going to hear this anecdote um, again and again, various sources, whether it's fruit picking or ski lifts. Uh, But I think, you know, for our economy, we have basically reopened and have been open for some time. There's going to be seasonal things that suddenly become an issue again. But, you know, I think we've adjusted rather well overall. I think in the US it's a it's a different story because over there you've still got clearly, you know, heavy unemployment benefits until September. So that's where it gets more interesting from a jobs dynamic. Uh, and that for me is because, you know, people are thinking, well, I may as well just stay on the couch rather than go back and, and do this, you know, tough part-time job that I was doing and was actually quite difficult. So... We actually see the pressures there a lot stronger than here in Australia, and I think that's fair. It has been reflected somewhat in markets, uh, but you know it's it's very hard when you've got all these anecdotes from your colleagues and and your family members and, and that sort of thing. But overall, from an, an aggregate level, we see the pressures far less here in Australia um, than in the US. Well, that's right. Like never never trust anecdote, right? Um, but uh, um, you know, sushi, sushi prices notwithstanding, is the guy who's like the king, <laughs> the, king the king of anecdote last yeah, week. Yeah. Um, but but um, but at the same time, there's absolutely no doubt that there are supply chain supply chain bottlenecks. Mm-hmm. There are um, there are definitely labour market shortages, um, and I uh, you know I've heard about again back to anecdotes, but I've heard stories about tech companies where they've got twenty vacancies and there's just absolutely nowhere to get them from. Um, engineers like computer engineers, etc., can kind of choose where they want to work at the moment in Australia, um, and a lot of that is because. There's a couple of things going on internally. There are um, there's reduced mobility um, just because of the risks around border closures and it's just people aren't as mobile as that. You know, it's not as easy to make a decision to just move to Brisbane or um, uh, for a job as it was before, or um, you know, go and do a short term contract in in Melbourne or whatever. Uh, but um, and then there's obviously the immigration equation. Um, which has been huge for the Australian economy for the past decade, um, not only adding, not, not only having an effect on the supply of labour, but also the aggregate demand in the economy by probably about a one percent increase. But this is the big question: um, how much of this is going to be sustained? So there's going to be some price rises that are kind of associated with those dynamics, and it's a big question all over the world: is how much of that is going to stick? So how do you see it from from where you sit? Sure. So I guess for us, in terms of price increases, you know, the, the world is trying to figure out, along with the central banks, um, whether it's transitory or it's something that's more sustainable over the longer term. Right now, the central banks largely believe that it is transitory and it won't lead to, you know, long run um you know, inflation pressures that they'll have to head off very quickly, otherwise they wouldn't be so accommodative with their policy. Now, the market's been trying to push them on this point, whether it's in Australia, in the US, um, now in Europe as well, of course, uh, you know, testing that that theory, especially as, as we have strong prints come in, but we know that base effects are going to make things look strong for a while. So it could be a few months before we really know where it does land. Um, but if you look at, say, the RBA projections, and, and they would be in line with what we're thinking as well on the inflation front, we still think that headline only really gets back towards that 2% um, level um, by the first quarter of next year. So it's not particularly 
um, encouraging, uh, you know, on the longer run side. The US is an interesting one, of course, with the Fed's new inflation targeting, you know, the average inflation targeting framework. And right now what we're seeing in the US inflation market is that the market believes that has credibility when you look at the longer run curve. Uh, but in the short term, there's a lot of noise, there's a lot of press. Uh, and I think that can that can translate, though, into inflation expectations. So, you know, it is something we're watching. Uh, but for us, the proof isn't really there on the, on the longer run side of things. And, and I think we know, given what we've seen over the last decade, that a lot of inflation is not sustain, sustainable. If anything, it's been a problem to try to achieve it for so long. You may get a, a nice heavy hit of it this year, uh, but it's actually, you know, not as um, endearing, um, in, enduring, sorry, I should say, um, over the longer run. I think that the, the the one thing that's going to everyone talks about it needed to have wage wage increases need to back up what happens in the inflationary side, mm. and well, people are going to go back to work and they're, and they're going to go back to work for the same pay, and that's how that's going to go in in the states I'm talking about. I don't actually think that that is going to be the case. This is my personal little gut feel of, about what's happened over the last year has told a working generation that you can actually stand up and say no, we're not going to go back to that. We're not going to go back to that same thing that you had us going back to. This is this is where I see that a following of the social change and that social that's that 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 big difference on that social side of things is interacting with the economic side of things. And people think that our oh, labor can just switch back on and it's all going to be okay. I honestly think maybe maybe it's just the idealistic. You know, as I, as I move further to the left, as yeah, I get older, because I'm going not going <laughs> to happen. People are bills to pay. Yeah, people. Um, yeah, post September. That's when, yeah, exactly. You know, it which rolls which off. which it is, and the same question is going to come. Well, I still say that the same question is always going to come up, especially since you've got a democratic, you've got a democratic administration. You've got mm, almost you know you've got full control of both houses of 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 Congress. You've got midterms that are coming up soon. You want to get people on side. You might. It might just be a situation where you can actually keep this going through for four years, potentially. God forbid, in America, they might actually have a four-year term as opposed to being a two-year term that depends on when the mid-years come in, uh, the, the, the mid-terms come in and change the way that everything works. So this might be that they can't. Uh, but I, I think that the only thing that is going to increase um, that, that wage reform is going to be people who say, no, you know why? Because we saw what you can do when a pandemic hit. Don't tell us that you can't, that you can't not pay for that because we know that you can pay for that and we know that, 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 that people can. It's sort of the theory. Whether or not they can or they can't is not. The perception yeah. is the reality in this, situ- in this situation. That's the only thing that is going to increase the wage. Yeah. Uh, no, I still, I still think that the economic necessity is just going to people be like, okay, actually bills pay. Hip pocket pays hip yeah, pocket, all yeah, the time, yeah, yeah. every day. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and uh, you know, the stimulus measures in the States or the household support was um, a fraction of what we got here in Australia and um, – you know, when that was withdrawn, I mean, the speed that people... I mean, we've got a boom. We really do have a thumping boom of an economy here at the moment. I don't know how long it's going to last, but everything I see uh, on the sort of short-term uh, high-frequency data um, just keeps um, confirming my priors is, is really the thing. I just uh, just keep saying everything points to continued strong growth. Melbourne is a worry, definitely. Um so uh, we'll see. I, d- I didn't see the construction data today, but we've got uh, it's Wednesday. We've got capex tomorrow. Yep. Um, expecting that to be the start of uh, maybe even twelve or eighteen months of um, uh, of, of strong capex. And um, wh- um, what do you think about this question that um, business investment is going to be unleashed or um, finally come to the table mm. uh, in the growth picture? 
Uh, look, we're always more sceptical on that front, as that's been proven over the last decade. Uh, it does seem, you know, even if you get the forward-looking projections in CapEx tomorrow to like, to increase, to lift um, looking forward, that is what is expected by the market. So it's going to have to be something quite reasonable to, to really get excited about that. Um, I think at this stage, you know, when we look at, say, the miners, for example, I, what's interesting, when you consider how high the iron ore price has been, uh, you know, they haven't really been challenged to try to bring more supply online because they were actually doing pretty well with what they had. Um, you know, the coffers were filling up very quickly and the demand was, was rock solid, um, particularly while other supply sources are offline. And if anything, you know, we have, would expect there could have been more investment on that front and we haven't really seen it. Um, maybe a little bit in, uh, you know, sort of more environmental uh, alternatives, etc., which is probably a good, you know, tick uh, to have for the markets. But uh, overall, I would say if they're not investing substantially in that environment, um, why would other Aussie sectors, uh, particularly in terms of company investment, be looking to do that? So I think right now people still feel that, you know, I've still got relatively high wages, even if wages aren't going up. It's still, in an absolute term, high wages in this country compared to the rest of the world. This oh, is something sure. that I think maybe the central bank is, you know, they're so predicated on wage inflation increasing. Um, but it's like, you know, how much more can Australian wages rise before it just becomes untenable to run a business? So I think that's where, you know, we see that this, the scope for that is quite muted. Uh, and, you know, otherwise, other opportunities, whether it's manufacturing, etc. yeah, you'll get pockets, you'll hear anecdotes, uh, but I just don't feel like you've got this big wall of investment that's about to hit. Yes, you've got cheap funding. If anything, we've just seen that go into housing, right? That's really been the beneficiary of all of this yeah. rather than on the corporate side. Yeah, and that has boomed the housing market, has it not? Oh, it has, yeah, yeah. yeah. Although and I did notice um, the clearance rate came back to a relatively sane I think seventy five percent in Sydney last weekend. Oh, 75, only seventy five. That's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, so you, you've got to. Put, so what they're going to do now is switch it from being auctions to being contract before the auction, and it will get the everything all, all okay. Yeah. Or, as we as we mentioned, this goes back to remember when we were doing um the 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 old thousand years ago podcast and we did it live, and I said, wouldn't it be nice to just the way that they do the clearance rate where they just take the houses off the clearance rate. Wouldn't it be nice to do that with, you know, your, the, the stocks that you didn't want to be in the ASX 200 for that particular day and just report that to clients? <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. I don't want BHP, I don't want Rio because commodities came off today, I'll do it. That's what they do with the clearance rate. But anyway, so that's it. But, but yes, it, 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 it is coming off. I did notice in America as well that um, the confidence that people have in their ability to buy a home, that that forecast has actually just gone straight down through, oh, really? through the floor. That, um, that's been a, a significant drop. We're yeah. now seeing because of price rises, uh, because of price rises, and also because of what's in the future and potential. It could be a lot of things. I'm not. I'm not questioning what it is. I just look at the number on the graph and, and interest just says, rates. Yeah, and yeah, and the potential that. Let's remember that the fund manager survey that that dropped at the end of last week, uh, which I always like to reference, uh, did actually say that that forecasts now. So this is for the 620 billion dollars under management, that the forecasts for the Fed to raise rates in the first half of 2022 is now 22% of people think that, 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 that it's first half, which is doubled on what it was in April. Mm. So that's 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 quite significant that now people are actually saying, okay, it's going to be 2022. We've been saying that 2022 is a 1,000 years away. It's not. It's not now. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> you just reminded me, actually. Yeah, there it is. Okay, yeah. so we're seven months away from 2022. Yeah. It has Act been one of the weird things about the last 12, 18 months, like time 
is it either feels really compressed depending on the context you're in. It feels really com- compressed. Every day is the same, Fast or it feels like an eternity. Um, but that does bring me back to this big question of the inflation and the, and the rates. Um, so, um, can I start with um, what would you be looking for to be um, convinced that we were having um, uh, mounting inflationary pressures? Um, so I suppose for listeners, what do you, um, maybe if you can share what you would be watching uh, uh, to um, see evidence of that building up? Sure. So in the inflation market, there's there's a number of different products and, and people talk about break-evens and they talk about, you know, five-year, five-year inflation swaps and probably a lot of people's eyes glaze over. Uh, but, you know, I think what gets a lot of attention right now is where the spot break-evens are. So we're talking about where you've got the, you know, basically the inflation index bond versus, you know, the nominal bond. And you're talking about the spread between the two yields, essentially. Um, and this will be reflective of, obviously, that inflation expectation that is that is in the inflation index. So essentially what you're thinking uh, is as they widen the spread between the two, so of the nominal versus the inflation, uh, you do start to think that, okay, basically what we're looking at here is is an inflation story rather than obviously just the underlying yields. Um, and people talk about real yields. Um, there's all different metrics. But for us, that's where it can get a little bit misleading because if people are just looking at that, it can be essentially, well, I'm looking at what things are pricing here and now, and that's based on, you know, in terms of what the inflation prints expectations for that, I think what's more important for markets and what if you're looking for really the longer term trends, and this is what the Fed will refer to in addition to other measures, um, is is these five year five year inflation expectations and what's happening in the five year five year swap level, for example, and that's really more about when you look forward where the, the sort of the, the medium-term inflation expectations are. And there's something that, you know, if you see the curve is actually quite flat versus where the current market is, well, then it doesn't look like anything that's overly sustainable. It might be something that, like in the US, for example, that's relatively flat, around, I think, sort of 2.6%, which suggests that, and that's over right over the extension of the curve, that maybe the Fed will have credibility and success in what it's trying to achieve with average inflation targeting, um, which is probably not the story that you're hearing because no one talks about that because that's not very exciting. They just talk about the tenure. <laughs> they talk about that and they talk about the, you know, the CPI print and how it's yes, the hottest yeah. in a decade or whatever it might yeah. be. So when you say that mm. curve, are you talking about the terms, say, three-year three year inflation swaps and then five-year, five-year? and Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. You okay. can look at a whole right. curve like that. Um, five-year, five-year is generally the point that people would, you know, it's kind of the benchmark that people would look towards. Uh, so that's important, I think, if you really want to talk about, you know, inflation running out of control or you want to talk about, you know, the... And, and look at like big bear steepening trades in, in the bond market, that's where you'd start to consider you know, what's happening on that front. Um, but as I said, that's not really sending any warning signals. Um, there will be markets maybe where that, that can start to change and it becomes a bit unhinged. And that will depend on and clearly the central bank as well and, and the expectations and, and the, how hot the economy is running, but also from a, a longer-term growth prospect rather than just this, you know, the short-term base effects and the, re- the reopening euphoria that we're feeling. Yeah. Um, I noticed that the Fed um, a couple of weeks ago said um, from minutes of its meeting, um, classic central bank speak, um, but they they put in there that um, at a, some future meeting, they may need to think about discussing. Yes. <laughs> so, think, so about, think, think about thinking about uh, thinking about it's, discussing. Like, it's just amazing. Uh, you know, but the thing is, what's so strange to me is that everybody knows exactly what that means now. Yes, yes. Right? Like, so that, we're, you know, at some future meeting, we may need to think about discussing 
at a future time. It's like a painful yeah. breakup, isn't it? I, I might want to talk to you about maybe breaking up down the line at some stage, <laughs> which <laughs> will send right. panic, you know, signals normally in a relationship, uh, right. and it and it does for the market as well. Okay, so I think yeah, that's yeah, where yeah. that's where the market is at. It's extremely sensitive to that, and as you say, you, you're getting these expectations now, whether you know markets bringing forward the Fed hike expectations because it's doubting the Fed and it's saying, you know, okay, one thing tapering, of course, versus the hike, uh, but it, it's sort of saying, all right, well, we think you're going to probably start talking about that sooner than, you know, we were thinking Q1 for tapering to begin. If they start talking about it, maybe June, September, then fourth quarter it could begin. Um, so that's forward. And then the rate hikes, maybe that comes forward. And so the market will just keep testing and being on uber alert for, for any signs of that. And particularly when you're getting maybe four members of the committee who wanted to talk about it more. And there's mm. that... Uh, yeah, yeah, and that starts to build that that voice and and that little that little chorus. semi semi yeah. yeah <laughs> when they get a little block, I'm trying to think about like a little uh, a little caucus going with those guys yes. that just want to start talking about it. Yeah, do you think that the market is going to react in the same way? This is impromptu. Sorry about that. But do you think the market is going to react in the same way that it's done with regards to this tapering as it has done to tapering before? I think not this time around. I think this time. The tapering, obviously, as, as you mentioned, it's really being guided to very carefully. Um, and as soon as you get a whiff of it, yes, there is a, an ex- – the market didn't really react the way it did back in, you know, when we were coming out of the GFC and obviously the, those QE packages. Weren't they hilarious? Well, yeah. this time the market has been more about, okay, I'm doubting what you're doing in terms of rate hikes. I'm thinking this is too long to leave rates near zero. Yep. And I'm thinking if you do – it's all about then, okay, are you going to hike a bit earlier then? Um, and then you won't have to hike as fast or you're going to leave it too late and then you're going to have to really hike fast. And that's where the belly of the curve is the interesting one that we always watch when you're coming out of a different Yeah, explain you know, that. Explain cycle. that. The, the yeah. belly of the curve. Yeah, because the Fed and every central bank that you can think of, mostly in G10, has given some forward guidance that things won't change for a while. Um, but the belly of the curve, and we saw this in New Zealand today, for example, where suddenly we've gone from an easing bias to a hawkish slant on the OCR at track at least, whether it's actually a hawkish bias is up for debate at the moment. Um, but essentially, you'll see the belly of the curve, so three-year to five-year, you know, really repricing higher in terms of yield in that scenario um, because, you know, hitherto it had been this lower for longer, potentially. Um, you know, I, I think I'm, I'm being quite extreme here because, you know, already bellies had started to be, to reprice in, in global markets since November last year for the RBNZ and then clearly, you know, February this year for global fixed income markets. We saw that happening. Um, so that's already been something that's underway as the market doubted the central banks um, and that they would have to go sooner and maybe faster in terms of hiking and normalising. Uh, and so now we're at this stage where it's starting to get to levels where, you know, it could look too much to be priced in, in certain markets and, and people think, do we believe the central banks... Um, and you know, are they are they aware enough of the risks that they don't have to play a massive catch up at some stage? Uh, and that's where markets can start to then go. I'll oh, start to fade what's priced in. Uh, just a reminder that uh, this episode of the BIP Show is brought to you by Open Trader. Open Trader is Australia's most competitive self-directed retail tra- platform for professional traders and those who want to invest like a pro from only five dollars per trade. Um, okay, Laura. One of the things that um, I've let's come back to Australia, um, and we've got the um, uh, the RBA, I think, have been doing um, a very uh, steady job. They've been very clear on a, on a few things, um, particularly in regards to um, the three-year um, uh, yield, pinning that down. Um, what is it? September, November twenty-four um, is still the November twenty-four um, yeah, bond. Yeah. yeah. So whether they're going to roll to that one is is the big debate in the market at the moment, um, and that we'll we'll hear about that in July. 
Right. So what and what would that mean then? What, what do you think that would signal um, if they do? So they're currently on the September 24s, are they? Uh, uh, so currently it's basically the April 24s. Oh, okay. And that yeah. the, the next bond, though, is the November 24. November 24. Uh, so essentially what, you know, this would reflect is that they're happy <laughs> to keep that yield curve control extending over a longer time period. And right now that they've talked about not meeting targets until at the earliest, maybe 2024, you know, so that would be potentially consistent uh, if they were to roll at this stage. Um, this, as I said, is a hotly debated topic in the markets right now. You know, some would say it's a 50-50 call because obviously the economy has improved. Um, you're talking it's rung gangbusters here at the moment. Um, but is it enough to meet the RBA's inflation and employment objectives, right, which are pr pretty lofty? Um, and this is something we come back to. You know, between now and July, there isn't a lot of time for them to think, OK, I can upgrade things so much um, that I will actually meet that, you know, wage inflation above 3% and I'll get to full employment and, uh, you know, inflation will run here. It's a big ask, I would say, and that's where I land on the side that they will roll the target because they will think that we need to preserve these conditions for a bit longer and, if, you know, adding a bit more duration to that um, before we start to, you know, think that things can be credibly achieved. Um, the, yeah, it's yeah. not exactly putting fuel on the fire, but it's it's certainly giving it just a little a breath of mm. air, putting a little bit of oxygen into it to make sure that the current uh, conditions... Uh, which is very helpful, you know, there's a lot of jobs getting created, a lot of full-time jobs. Um, and, you know, there are, like we said, like little um, uh, brush fires signaling some potential inflationary pressures, but no widespread, no. for example, uh, lift in uh, wages. Um, like I, I, do, I do think it's interesting the, with the labour shortages, businesses are going to start to have, have to make decisions, right? Do you accept that you're not going to be able to do the things that you, you're not going to sell all the product that you could or turn out all the stuff because you're not willing to pay the wages? Mm. Or do you suck it up, pay the market rate, which it might be a little bit higher to secure the people that you need? Um, but what if you can't? What do you mean? Well, what, what if, what if this, is, this is what I was trying to say at the, at, at the top of the show. What if you physically, as, as has been told to me a few times, what if, James... I could pay $10,000 a day. I cannot find someone who can carry three plates. Was, and that sticks with me. There is an actual shortage. It's not an actual people. It's, it's, it's not about paying more. This is actually now, this is the discrepancy that, that, that I think is being underplayed. Carry interesting, on. interesting, interesting. I still think prices, um, wage prices can send very powerful signals. You might have people who... You know, um, it's the same small group of people <coughs> that are, they're going to be moving around. Something like that. We, ne we, we need, yeah. we need, we need the guys shoveling the snow from overseas. We need that. We, we need those European people. We can't pay any more for people who just aren't here who don't know how to do what they need to do. Yeah, but but you can train people and, and okay, people, well, okay. people if, come if, from different backgrounds. And if if, if anything, know. if anything, the trade that paid for me is opening up is going to be that there's a training shortage that needs to be solved right now. The, the other thing is, the other thing is, for for example. Sorry, if if the way the, the pay might not be, um, say a, a waiter is in the city, right? The pay not might might not be high enough at the moment um, to attract people to come in from the suburbs to work um, on a Friday night in the city. But you kick it up by twenty percent, 
and there is a there is a question mark over this, and I'm I'm happy to I'm I'm, I'm happy to like I'm not taking a side either way. So yeah, I so, think there is a question mark over. It. So yeah. c- c- carry on, yeah, sorry, because yeah, yeah. um, we have a guest here, and we've done this thing again. <laughs> <we're> <laughs> hey, Laura, how's it going? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Good. But it, the other thing is, and I'm going to um, use steal a James Whelan line here, though. But it, uh, um, the, I uh, saw one construction company, you know, and there was this big story about yeah. <coughs> all the con- uh, pr- um, inflationary pressures in the construction sector, and I saw what the one number that was in there was that they'd seen a four percent year over year increase in the price of gyprock. And I was like, well, okay, look. Where's the rest of it? Yeah, I know. You're, like, <laughs> if you're going to need to go more than 4% on Jeprock here. Super I don't chief. get out of bed for <laughs> <laughs> I don't get 15 or 20%. You're not so. going to get a lot of sympathy for that one, I don't yeah, think, either. Uh, yeah, that's. I was just going to say, I mean, <laughs> wages like like other input costs, you know, this is what you have to consider. Okay, is it going to eat into my margins? Yes. In certain cases, maybe for your restaurant friend, yes, it will. Um, and maybe that becomes a decision, do you open that night? And this is, you know, decisions that yep. local small businesses have to make. Um, but I do think at an aggregate level what we consider as well as things like the you know enterprise bargaining agreements you can't just go and lift wages like you know there's there's agreements in place which have protected against the time when wages could have been falling and they've been kept at an artificial level yep. like that doesn't actually just get to be you know snapped and changed at, at yeah, the we don't work like the states do we where <laughs> it's just like yeah we can you can there's more rigid the sort of yeah. structural things that i think need to be considered but certainly anecdotes you'll hear them and no one will get no one will tell you a boring story about enterprise bargaining agreements but i will <laughs> <laughs> I, and, and for someone who has a degree in industrial relations is i'm, I'm not going to i'm not going to take you on on that uh, on that side of things either because i don't really know that much about it so <laughs> uh, but but um now let's gear change can mm. we do emerging markets because I'm very excited on emerging markets, and there's a few there's a few good trades that are coming out of that now. Last week's podcast uh, did sort of open up the idea that people might be moving out of the speculative commodities space. We've seen this huge rally that's happened in the Chinese market, the Chinese new technology, and the Chinese market has broken out. Weirdly, and if you want to say there's no such thing as coincidences in in the market, but it's very interesting that at the same time that the crackdown has come down on speculative behaviour that all of a sudden real actual stocks have suddenly got this huge boost behind it. So mm. it pays to pay attention to the BIP show because uh, if, uh, if, if, if you'd heard it there, then you would have been on top of it. Uh, Laura, emerging market, Asia, inflation. What have you got ahead of us on this one? And then relating to, and we can take this down the iron ore route and we can talk, to, talk about China too. It's an yeah. open slather. I think the EM right now is an interesting complex because you know at any time there's a number of different stories and and you know themes that are running through it. But right now, more than ever, I think EM Asia clearly because of the COVID spread uh, is facing you know in, in numerous challenges. It's it's like you know it's highly undervaccinated. It's in a very different space to you know Europe and and obviously uh, you know LATAM even to an extent. Um, but I think at this stage we feel that the the central banks in emerging Asia are going to struggle if they do get inflation and, th- and they probably will um, especially because they don't have a lot of room to fight it anymore you know in terms of monetary policy fiscal as well you'll see more more packages announced but everybody was already doing a lot um, and so the, to do a lot more is difficult and could you know obviously create more further inflation as well um, on the monetary side it's very limited uh, Otherwise, the rest of emerging markets, you're actually seeing that, you know, it's like the Poland and Hungary, those parts of Europe, 
they're coming out of this a lot quicker. They're normalising quicker. The currencies are doing well. And that's where you'll start to see, you know, inflation pressures building and people building that story as well. Um, so I think it, it depends which part of the globe right now, very much so because of the COVID spread. So why is this in Asia that um, that the, some of those Asian countries, the Asian EM countries will have um, trouble fighting because uh, an inflation yeah. outbreak. They can't. They can't necessarily be hiking rates in the face of everything that they're already challenged with. Um, so you know, for us, it just feels like there's very little that they can do on that front. Um, whereas other, you know, the, the ones that are doing better can obviously respond to that and start to be credible in flight in fighting inflation. So that's that's kind of where we're at, and and I think currencies will, will vary depending on that. The China part is is different. Um, I think you know China obviously has its own story. China, China I'm separating from the AM yeah. discussion as well. Fair but but when it comes to other AM, mm. um, let's go. Let's just go into that as part of sort of what I want to do with season three. Actually, sort of just just walking through. Why does it? Why does a rate increase for for a regular non Chinese EM country actually mean it's it's not as good? And so it it, it means that okay. Do you want to do it? No, no, I mean, I guess it, for us... You're better just, at it than I am because no, I can talk... it's the simple okay. dynamics of, you know, whether you're going to choke off any growth that may start to come back. Like, let's because say India, for example. Yeah. Like, you know, in other parts of the world, people are paying um, in paying swaps, you know, in, in basically rates markets because they're expecting inflation to increase, um, whether it's like Poland, for example, or even you could talk about the US. Uh, but in India, people are still receiving because look at what's, you know, what they're dealing with right, right now. And then obviously you've got, you know, terrible weather as well hitting. Like it's just their yeah. ability to be able to to suddenly start hiking rates, on, you know, if they do get inflation, which they probably will because there'll be scarcity and shortages. And we know that there's a lot of, you know, those sorts of issues as well. Um, it just makes it very difficult. So that's where the central bank is in a very a hard, hard place, um, and they won't have that credibility. So that's why you continue to see those currencies underperform. And yeah, yeah, it's a currency thing. Well, it, it it plays out in the currency, but if they can't move rates higher when they need to, um, obviously things can start to spiral. But uh, yeah, China on the iron ore front, I guess for us this week, you know, there was obviously the article in the AFR which was talking about longer term moving away from Australian exports. Um, it's clearly the one thing that we have that they still really want and we have high grade as well. For us, I think we, we would downplay that um, risk in the in certainly over the next few years. There isn't many options for China um, in terms of, of other supply at the moment. Uh, and I think you know what we have and, and what we, we can continue to bring to them is, is very important. So yeah, you'll probably hear more noise but uh, our own or analysts were very um, sort of quite adamant about this one that it really is is not a near term risk. Yeah, sure. Five to ten years, we should be thinking about it. Though. Five to ten for sure. Yeah, Paul. Uh, and um, the FT had a really interesting piece actually today uh, about how Australia has managed to start diversifying uh, some of its export markets. No. So, for example, um, uh, coal we've um, found a little bit to Latin America. Yep. Um, uh, and uh, and then Asia, the other uh, really interesting one was barley which was almost 100% going to China before, um, opened up a big market with uh, Saudi Arabia. Ah, great. Yeah. Big fans. Um, big so, fans. so other, you know, little things. Hello to our Saudi Arabian listeners as well. Yeah, and it's the other thing about, like, just necessity. Um, uh, sometimes forces, you know, like, Australians are very good salespeople too. But so <laughs> I think, you know, you know, in global... I was like, are we? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you know well, that's right. Do you want to buy uh, this cow or not? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, that's right. Well, good good question. Americans are, <laughs> Americans are the best sellers. They are the best sellers, with Australia. Um, but Australians are good. Look, they're good at being, I suppose, let me be more precise about that. 
Australians are good at getting around the world and talking about the products to people. Mm. And, and we have stuff. Yeah, we have lots of stuff. <laughs> Having and stuff is good. really helpful. Yeah, it's yeah. good. And, it's, you know, everybody knows Australia is, you know, clean and all that stuff. Uh, you know, um, very natural sort of country helps with all the agriculture stuff and, and then some other products, you know. So that's all... Um, that's all helpful. So I do think the necessity is helping with that, that mm. diversification story. Um, uh, but at the same time, there is still a lot, and the PM said this uh, in last week in an interview, actually, like there's actually a lot of activity that is still there, despite all the noise around the relationship, etc. There's a lot of stuff uh, still happening, particularly on the iron ore side. Yes. Yeah, it's still a relationship. Now, iron ore, so, so the, the two main things that they could do... Are, is find their iron ore from China. Sorry, is find their iron ore from somewhere else. They've got the the, the Guinea mine that's coming on. Came up with a beautiful plan last week that uh, that they could just dig a bigger gulf over in that part of the world as opposed to training it off there. But that was a bit of a joke. Um, they've also got scrap metal, uh, which they're looking at, at bringing up to fifty percent of their production from being about twenty percent of their input on that. Which means they've got to change their furnaces. They've got to change their whole their whole industry on that. Is look it it, it how long can fifty five dollars for our budget estimates. Let's talk about the $55 number, mm. which still blows my mind at that Mine one. too. <laughs> I'm, I'm just going to open it. L- Laura, you're the expert. Go with it. $55 on the on the budget expectations. Um, yeah, where do you see iron ore? Where do you see the budget expectations? Where do you see things going? Yeah, I mean, by March next year, um, you know, when we were sort of around 200, everyone was a little bit perplexed and thinking, okay, it doesn't make any sense uh, at this stage. Clearly very pessimistic, Um and, yeah, I, I mean, I would say it's certainly welcome to a number of upgrades before the next election, um, and I think that's where most people probably tried to to see where that came from. Uh, so, yeah, I guess nowhere near that pessimistic. Yes, you've seen a bit of a slide of late. Steel production has fallen in China. You know, there, there is a few things coming off the boil, but that was to be expected. Uh, we were, I mean, the fact that it has been sustainably this high for so long um, came as a shock to most people. So I think everyone got that wrong and Aussie dollar was probably higher than it should have been for many people as well. Um, but, yeah, I think those trades maybe start to get a little bit more attention now, but I do think that that was really um, something that was a bit more cosmetic for the budget and and will be open to upgrades. So, yeah, I think for me that's probably the, the number that stood out the most as well um, in all of the content of the budget. And uh, where do you see the Aussie going based on that too? Yeah, so our forecasts are looking more towards like a, a move back lower, uh, sort of 73, 74 cents over the remainder of the year, maybe early next, um, which I think, you know, most people probably wouldn't hugely argue with because they do see some downside maybe from the, the China relations, probably that iron ore can come off a little bit. Uh, but, you know, and also I guess if the RBA was to keep clearly very much on this track of, of being very accommodative, which I do think they will. Um, so all of that can play out. But really where it comes from is the, the big dollar, the US dollar for us. Um, and this is something that, you know, one of the largest shorts, of course, is the big dollar in the market versus other G10s. Um, and, you know, that's where the Aussie has remained high uh, in addition to the iron ore price. Uh, so, yeah, I would say that it, it clearly depends on that view. We've been constructive on the US dollar for some time. Um, and, you know... How this so? Well, I, I mean, in terms of whether it's against the euro, um, sterling, um, and look, these these trades haven't worked. I mean, if anything, we've seen hedge funds, fast money, very much, you know, happy to buy euros, uh, particularly now with the reopening trade happening. Um, sterling's been one of the, the, the largest held positions um, from hedge funds throughout 2021 so far, which you would think, given everything with Brexit and all the noise and all of the COVID, you know, concerns, but even before the reopening, 
um, it was it was still very happily to be owned. So people don't like the US dollar, and I think it will take. Even though the rates market is telling you know maybe the Fed can move sooner, the dollar hasn't really responded in that way. Um, And so what we're trying to figure out is for us like at once at some stage the US will start to be a bit more exceptional. It is the earliest in the reopening trade of all the G10s. Um, and at some stage, it, the dollar will start to play ball a bit more on that front. And US break-evens right now telling you there there is a strong story there. But as I said, it's probably not longer term on the inflation front. Um, but for that reason, the Fed probably doesn't really feel like it needs to panic. But that's why those longer-term inflation expectations are really important for the Fed, and they should be more important for the market than anything. And that, for us as well, with regards to, 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 to the dollar, to that trade, we're a commodities currency. The, the Aussie dollar, is, it's, it's, it's a commodities trade. I know there's probably some some other conversations about that, but we're a bit of a risk currency. So if we're long, okay, so we're long US dollars at the moment, which is great. And so, okay, so if there's a bit of a correction in the commodities market, theoretically the Aussie should come off. However, if we've got all our holdings in the US dollar and that's also coming off against everything else too because of the Fed expanding and, and carrying on and, and saying that they're not going to be raising rates or, or be tapering at any time soon. It's sort of it's it's very frustrating because the one currency that we need the Aussie to come off against mm-hmm. is the US dollar, mm-hmm. and that's that's the one thing that we really care about. That's all that I have to add on that one. Cargo, um, <laughs> um, I think we can wrap it up. Um, I can't believe the time. Um, uh, this has been a fascinating uh, chat, Laura. It's always great um, having you on the show. Always great to um, to catch up. I know you're on the front line, particularly with. Uh, um, institutions, etc. Was one thing you mentioned very briefly earlier, which was um, uh, the uh, the uh, environmental questions, etc. Um, uh, out there, you, this ESG thing, it's it's become so big, and we're looking at the amounts of um, uh, funds held in ESG nominated funds, etc. Um, uh, growing all around the world. Um, what about here? Yeah, absolutely. It's a huge uh, theme, and it's you know it, I think it's strongest in Europe. That's where it really began and has has you know sort of its its core. Um, I would say that you know what we're seeing, particularly from you know the large super funds here uh, and every asset manager, you know people realise that this is important. Um, so I come from the fixed income space where you know we have been you know, green bonds have been issued, and, and we see that you know quite um, quite commonly now uh, over the last few years i think in equities it's it's kind of had this uh, this real you know impetus recently and i think that's where you know everyone's starting to look at, uh, at what's important and what stocks they own and what they shouldn't own and everything has become much more under the spotlight and you know a lot more scrutiny on that uh, but i would say that in fixed income space you know there's definitely been the you know the ability to invest in, in green assets for some time and and even in australia here so i guess for me it's become quite a common theme in the market but it's certainly something that is getting more and more airtime and it will continue to grow uh particularly as i say you know super funds are focused on this because their members are focused on it and that's that's wonderful if people care about sustainable investing um and sustainable finance well that will continue to drive where people are you know where the fund managers invest and and your super fund invests so i think that's you know it's great that it's have that bottom-up approach um, but clearly taking the cues from from the europe and and less less so the US, but certainly I think Australia and New Zealand, um, you know, given our environmental credentials, you'd hope that we could uh, continue to forge in this space. So, yeah, it's definitely a focus for markets and will continue to be. Yeah, it's certainly going to be interesting. Um, and I think particularly the pricing thing is a really interesting question um, where um, banks talking about, you know, tiny discounts um, on the interest rate, like a small small discount on the interest rate if you meet certain 
ESG criteria, etc. Um, so it's going to be interesting. Let's come back to that at some point mm-hmm. uh, in the future. Um, no doubt we will try and get you back again for the um, for the Christmas uh, special later in the year. Thanks. Sorry, Christmas. I missed you for the. Lo- <laughs> sorry, I missed you for the Christmas special as well on lockdown. That was yeah, uh, yeah. that was really fun. Um, okay, um, so uh, don't forget to subscribe to the show, rate us, and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. Open Trader. For professional traders and those who want to invest like a pro from only $5 a trade. Open trader, invest like a pro from only $5 a trade. You're good at that, James. I am very um, good We're at on that. Twitter. It's at the underscore BIP underscore show. Um, we're on Facebook too. Just search the BIP show. We're there individually at Colgo at James Whelan 42. And as I've said before, or is too smart to be on Twitter. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, oh, we've also opened up the. I've opened up a part of my website for the extra stuff that we've got. Laura, yeah. if you want to put anything on that you've that, that, that you've anything that can be publicly available, we're just putting it on there for a bit of extra bits and pieces that people want to know about, and I, and I write into things. Also, some uh, the, the 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 just some trades that sort of come off the back of what it is that we've talked about as well. Trying to make it a bit more relevant to people about what, what they can and can't do on these ones. Great. Um, those five-star ratings, um, keep them coming, guys. We really like them. Um, tell your friends. Um, the show is produced by Rick Salter. James, it's been great. It's been fantastic, <laughs> mate. Always good. And Laura Fitzsimmons from uh, JP Morgan, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you very much, Paul. Thank you, James. We'll catch you next time.